0: Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I have a very special guest. Somebody's known me since I was, I think, probably eighteen. Um, this is part Sleeping of the. in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is part of a, right. this is part of the roadie days st- series when I worked with Sick of It All. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Armand Majidi.
1: What's up, guys? How's it going? Thanks What's for being up, here,
0: guys? Armand. Um, I, um, so we have a lot to talk about before we get to like me as a shitty roadie. I want to get to you and your and um. I've already spoken to Pete and Craig and Lou, and I know that when they first met you, you were like, you were a kid with long hair with, like, upside down um, cross on your shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you were born in—where were you born, actually?
1: In, in Tehran, Iran. In, in,
0: in Iran. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I was, I was born over there. My dad's Iranian. My mom was working for the U.S. government, and uh, they fell in love and had my brother and I. And uh, so I, I was born over there moved to england for a number of years moved back to iran when i was four and then lived there through the revolution wow uh, through through about half of the hostage crisis and then uh you know i mean once the islamic republic was voted in my family knew it was time to leave so yeah that was and that was when my parents uh decided okay we gotta get out so uh i came over here in 1980 uh, and moved in with my American grandparents in Jamaica, Queens.
0: Wow. So how old were you then? Twelve. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, so-, so I lived in Iran from when I was like four until I was 12. For like good formative years, you know, eight formative years.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was it like living there? Was it was it weird? Was, it was it-
1: actually, I mean, it, it was cool growing up there because uh, I, I was going to like a nice small school and like, Almost all of the kids that I went to school with were like me. In other words, like half and half, half yeah, uh, either English or half American and then half Iranian. So everybody was kind of like, even though we were all like mutts, we were all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. And uh, everybody spoke English. So we would have English classes in the morning and then Farsi classes in the afternoon. Sometimes oh, we'd have like, you know, like the same subject twice. Like history <laughs> would... Like uh history and English would be about the Western world and then history in Farsi would be about Iran.
0: Oh, that's amazing, man. That's always awesome. you got best yeah. of you, best of both.
1: Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, but uh but I was I was never a, a very good Farsi speaker, so I you know, did a lot better in uh school doing the English classes.
0: <laughs> so when you got to New York, was it like a total culture shock for you? Is that crazy or?
1: Some, some of the things were like going from a school which only had like 300 kids to going to Francis Lewis High School, which uh, you know, had like 3,000 kids. Damn. that was that was a pretty big deal. And then there were certain aspects of, you know, American culture that were kind of strange because like, you know, like the, the the fact that like, you know, black kids had to be bused in from Jamaica, and I would I would be on all the the Jamaica buses with them, you know, going because yeah. where, where I lived in Jamaica and where the school was in Flushing was kind of far. So we, I had to take like two buses every day to, to make that trip. Uh, wow. And you know, like just seeing like the, the fact that there was like this racial tension and everything like that and going to high school there, it was always like, it was unfortunate to see, you know, yeah. it was kind of sad to see America be this place where, that That kind of vibe is still alive and kicking, and it is still to the today, day. yeah yeah sad so how we, how but, we,
0: how, <laughs> how were you as a student were you a good student
1: no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was pretty bad, and uh what do you call it and and then once I met up with Pete and Lou, I got even worse because I think we were just a bad influence on each other, Damn. and we ended up we ended up cutting out so much of my whole like My first junior year of high school, I uh, I just got like failing grades almost across the board because I was just not at school.
2: Holy shit! Uh, You
1: know, so often like, and we would write each other notes, uh, (laughs) pretend to be each other's parents. You know what I mean? Holy shit! uh, Yeah, it was it was really bad. Like, I think all of us suffered a lot. You know, like in school. Once we once we started hanging out with each other, yeah. But we also had a lot of fun. So I guess you know, uh, <laughs> but but it, it, it was kind of like a positive thing for my life as a whole that my parents then you know moved up to Tarrytown in Westchester, yeah. And uh, t- pulled me out of Francis Lewis, away from Lou and Pete, <laughs> and then uh, and then so once I was up there, I was like. I got to get out of high school. I can't stand going to high school. So I just did really well once I was up there. Mm. Uh, And and I was just like on my own up there, you know, like, I mean, I, I made friends, but it wasn't like, uh, like my social life still was consisted of me taking the train down back out to Queens and spending every single weekend at Lou and Pete's house. Holy shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like we, we maintained our friendship And in a way that we spent, like, every single weekend together,
0: you know? Were your parents strict?
1: No, my parents were actually, when when I think back, I think my parents were, like, the least strict parents in the world and allowed me to do way too much shit that I should have never been able to do.
3: Mm. And
1: you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, really lenient but to a fault. I think back and I, I think, like, you know, having a little bit more discipline probably would have been a better idea because I, you know i i ended up on a a little bit of a strange path when when i was like in my later teen years yeah you know wanting to just experiment with drugs and things like that mm. like you know just being able to make my own rules and yeah. be you know there there were times where i'd be like Hanging out on 42nd Street, like sharing a bottle with a homeless guy, you holy know, at, at like 4 a.m. You know what I mean? And that wow. was back when 42nd Street was a dangerous place. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, there were times where I think back about what I did, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm lucky that I lived, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I know. So
0: how old, how old were you when you were doing that? Were you like 17?
1: 17, uh some actually you know 15 to 16 17 like those kind of ages Wow. like too young, too young to be doing that kind of shit yeah
0: so, so did, did you have any yeah, like, did you have goals in high school like you have, what was your goals in there
1: i mean i guess you know i am like one of those very very lucky people that always just wanted to play music yeah and it, it ended up happening for me you know yeah. uh so and, and there's so many people that probably have the same aspiration but end up working at guitar center or, or, you know, or end up like just playing in a wedding band and working the crappy job that they hate, you know, uh, to be able to do what I do is a blessing. And like, you know, uh, I thank my lucky stars every day.
0: Yeah. What, what, what was some of your jobs? Like, so you graduated, obviously.
1: Yeah. I I got out of high school and, uh, I, my, my first job right away. I, I, uh, hooked up with that band Rest in Pieces as yeah. a guitarist.
3: Yep.
1: And uh, just because there was a guy that I knew in high school up in, up in Westchester that knew the other guys from Rest in Pieces, they were from a, a few towns away from me. Yeah, And uh, so he introduced me to them, and they needed a guitar player. So I was just like, yeah, why not? And uh, I ended up really clicking with those guys. I really liked them. Yeah, And uh, so I was their guitarist for a little while. And then uh, the bassist, Josh, got me my first job, which was working at a, a stone yard.
0: Uh, oh, wow. So we were
1: just, you know, it was like one of those horrible jobs where you have to deal with, like, really dangerous giant pieces of rock all the time. That's like, crazy. They, were, they, they, they were cut stone, but, you know, I, they would, like, fall all, all the time and, like, hurt people. So it, it's like one of those jobs that it, it was dangerous. It was dirty. It yeah. was just nasty and, like, horrible. So you know, I was eager to get out of that.
0: So, and, uh, were you going to, yeah. I mean, to go back a little bit, so how, how you met Pete and Lou was just in Queens, right? Like, was that just like a was, at school? Yeah, yeah?
1: I, think, I think the first time, I, I, I think I might have seen them at shows, like, you know, going to some metal shows and stuff like that. Yeah. But then, but there was one time, I think I was just walking uh, home or something like that in Queens, and I ran into Lou. Oh wait, actually no, the very first time I was like really introduced to him, I was coming back from a show in the city and they had been at the same show. Oh shit. And I, I, I was with my friend who knew them just from Queens, uh, this guy named Dan Monahan. He's like a he was like a he ended up being more of a biker than anything else, but he was more into the metal stuff and yeah. I mean he, he was the guy that originally took me to go see Negative Approach at oh, wow. uh TV. So like he was more of a metal guy but really appreciated certain uh hardcore bands as well. Yeah. So like he was the you know the one responsible for taking me to my first CB's matinee and like I went to like a few early hardcore shows with him. So this guy Dan Monahan was like kind of like a he was integral like you know uh part of me meet- meeting up with Lou and Pete. Yeah. And so we we were coming back from the show uh that we w- were all at in the city and we were going back to Queens, and uh, we were on the seven train, and that's where I remember—I vaguely remember meeting Lou and Pete because I was so drunk and I was so sick <laughs> that I was like, I was like, like ha- trying to hang out, but I have to go like every couple minutes and go between the cars and barf all over the track. <laughs> <laughs> so it was—it was one of those moments where like I, I can't. You know, it's not a clear memory, yeah. but I do remember that that was the first time I ever met those guys. And how old were you? And then uh, I was probably, four, probably 14. Oh, shit. Must have been 14, because I remember, like, really uh, starting to hang out with these guys, like, a lot when I was, like, 15.
0: Yeah. And you you were crazy metalhead, huh? What's that? You were crazy metalhead, huh? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we all were. Yeah. You know, everybody. Everybody was into to metal, and I got I got introduced to hardcore in like '81 by a friend of mine that lived down the block uh, uh, in Jamaica. Yeah, and he ended up actually becoming a musician. He was this guy Rick. Uh, I forgot the name of his band, but but he ended up playing like in a metal band. Oh, that's cool. And they did they, they did okay, and you know it was uh, uh and all that. He lives I think out in Texas now, but uh, um, it, it was him. And this guy Dan Monahan, and there was a guy uh, that I met in high school named. Well, he was—I don't remember his real name. His <laughs> nickname was his nickname was Foil Shits, and the, <laughs> he he had a band called Distorted Youth that played CDs one time. And the re, I, I guess he got his nickname because he wrapped himself completely uh, completely up in uh, like aluminum foil to take the <laughs> stage, and. <laughs> So they, they, for some reason they called him foil shit so oh I, I don't remember his real name but he was the one like that like gave me and he got mentioned in the song that crazy white boy shit because he oh, was the shit. one he was the one that introduced me to the bad brains
3: okay and he
1: gave me yeah he gave me the the roar cassette and you know to listen to and uh, i just like borrowed it from him and i was just like holy shit this is amazing you know so that's uh, awesome you know what I mean? There, there were certain players involved in the Key whole thing. players, like, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the Queen scene, which like kind of connected the dots between metal and hardcore. Yeah. You know, because it seemed like there was that, that thing going on where, like, almost everybody across the board, metalheads and hardcore people, punk rockers, you name it, yeah. everybody loved Motorhead. Okay. So, you know, so, like, that kind of... Um, the United you all. Yeah, that connection made everybody kind of see eye to eye on a lot of shit.
2: That's so, uh,
1: yeah, and uh, and there was another guy, Anthony Ferente, that was part of like the whole Murphy's Law crew. Gotcha. That I think uh, Jimmy probably still hangs out with to this day. That was a guy like in my first gym class. I I, I looked over and I saw this guy. He looked decked out, all punk rock, you know, and <laughs> he had. On his on his uh, school notebook, he had loud, fast rules. You know, and uh, that's awesome. And I, was just, I was just like, "Oh shit!" You know, and so he was a guy that was telling me, like, "You got to, you got to come to some shows," you know. But at the time, I was kind of intimidated because, you know, you hear about the shows being all dangerous yeah. and how like awful shit happens to like you know newbies and all that. stuff. Yeah. Kind of. and that, I, I guess it did for uh, for a lot of people. But I really shouldn't have been that intimidated by the, the New York punk or hardcore scene because uh, once I ended up going, I realized like how, you know, people were generally cool. Like if you didn't go in there with an attitude, you didn't get treated with yeah. one. and like, You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was like it was pretty respect based. So uh, um, it, it was like actually like a really open minded, awesome scene back then, which yeah. is almost, almost preferable to modern hardcore.
0: Yeah, were you were you a bigger kid? Were you a big kid back then or no? A what? Were you a big kid, like a bigger
1: no, kid? No, 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 no. I wasn't. Like, I mean, I, it was like it wasn't until moving up to Westchester where I started getting into like lifting weights and stuff like yeah. that. So, so I was like a, a generic kid up up until that point. And then once I got some muscle on me, then I guess I kind of, you know, <laughs> I got like I beefed <laughs> up a little bit. you yeah. Yeah, became a oh god this fucking annoying guy (laughs) so
0: when did you um when did you start what inspired you to start playing drums and like do you remember like your first drum set or like your favorite drummer back Uh, then
1: i i always tended to listen to drums and music like uh back when i was living in iran even uh, yeah that was like that was like the main instrument that i would kind of focus on uh you know just to kind of Get an idea of how the beats were put together and everything like that. So I always kind of had it in my brain, and it wasn't until uh, I mean, I, I remember messing around. With, there was a there was a teacher there was a teacher in my school in Iran that like kind of showed me the basics of playing drums. Yeah, and and I did like one really awful recital where it was like you know just me on drums and I think it was a piano player or something like that. Oh wow! And but but of course I played too fast. You know, (laughs) spazzing, which which kind of means that I was uh, you know bred to do this, but uh, (laughs) but I screwed up the recital because I played too fast. I was too charged up, you know. Oh shit! But uh, but but then it wasn't until later on in life where uh, you know, uh, when New York City Mayhem uh was playing around and Tommy was playing drums and singing, and that's kind of awkward for like a. a hardcore thrash That's crazy. band, yeah, they were. So it are just a little awkward, and Tommy wanted to be a frontman. So at that point, they they tried me out, and they tried out Billy Psycho, <laughs> 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 and and I ended up getting the gig. So uh, oh, even wow. though it was even though I was completely new to the instrument, like you know, it was just like yeah, but but the band became straight ahead at that point. You know, yeah. it was like the transition from New York City. Mayhem to Straight Ahead was Tommy not being a, a singing drummer anymore, and also bringing in Rob on guitar, Das, who das. played in Rest of the Pieces as well. Yeah. So uh, it was, um, yeah. And then Gordon wasn't a part of it anymore. So uh, that that was the, the that was the mark in time where uh, New York City Mayhem became Straight Ahead.
0: Were you were you and st- so, go ahead?
1: and uh, it, you know, basically, I played drums for maybe five or six times and then we had our first show and it was at that club February's out in uh, Long Island. Okay. And, uh, and then maybe the 10th time I sat down behind the drum set was our first Seabees matinee. Oh wow. You know, so, so it was like really quick, like, you know, the, and and I look back at the, like, you know, looking at the video of that show at the the first Seabees matinee that I played for being like the 10th time I ever played drums. That was pretty solid it was it's actually awesome. very like like i impressed the shit out of myself yeah. back at, like damn i picked it up really quick especially cuz it was like it wasn't you know a regular orthodox drummer it was mm-hmm. completely orthodox so yeah. i i was it all the, the crazy like thrash kind of stuff that tommy taught me how to do and uh and i was able to do it it was just like really fast really crazy and uh and i was able to pull it off so uh, awesome. i knew that i, I knew that i could, you know, all right, all right. I I could get better at it, and then, uh, you know, a few months later, I ended up doing the the sick of it all demo.
0: How did that come about?
1: It was just uh, those guys, uh, kind of working on a band in their basement, wow. and they they were you know they already had Richie, yeah, and and then they had you know they had Little Dave on drums, who was a Chinese guy. I remember was, him, yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was like the, the weird, like Chinese, uh, Nazi. <laughs> he was? <laughs> he was a Chinese Nazi. What like the fuck? And, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, th- strange things like that happened in, in New York back then. Because, yeah. uh, you know, he, he.
0: <laughs> was he a milita- <laughs> he ended- military dude?
1: What's that? Was he a mili- yeah, He ended up being, yeah. He ended up going into the Marines. That's right. And, uh, and you know he ch- he changed his ways very quickly, but for a short time there uh, he was like a Chinese Nazi. That is fucking random. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I know. It's so weird, so weird. But like, <laughs> uh, and, and then they had Mark McNeely on base. Yeah, Mark Uber. Yeah, actually, before before Richie, it was Mark McNeely on base. I'm sorry. And uh, so yeah, Mark Uber and and Dave were the ones that played the the first Sick of It All show. Yeah. With with Lou and Pete, and it was a show that Craig set up that's awesome uh, out, on, out on long island so I, I was there and at that point i you know just by being uh friends i you know i was already kind of i went to rehearsals and i was uh i wrote a song for sick of it all at that point really so even, even at the first show i got up and sang the the dance part you know of the song that i wrote for sick of it that's all, fucking you know? cool so you know the, the, like all everything was so kind of intertwined back then. Everybody yeah. was playing with everybody else. And, and that's why the New York hardcore scene in the late eighties was just so prolific, yeah. you know, it was because it was like this big, it was like a center for creativity, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's, what's so frustrating for me when I see certain people's take on American hardcore, like that, you know, that guy, Stephen Blush making that movie, uh, About the hardcore scene and saying how it ended in like 1986, which Mm. is just just happens to be the the year the sick of it all started. Yeah, that was American Hardcore. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and obviously hardcore didn't die in '86. Hell no. You know, it died for him maybe, but that was when the New York scene really blossomed. Hell yeah. You know, because all of a sudden there were so many bands, bands were moving, like, like, they moved into New York city yeah. Yeah. to be a part of what was happening there. Yeah. You know, and they hooked up with Gorilla Biscuits and yep. Warzone and like, you know, there was just like so many bands where like all the members played with all the other bands that totally. it was just like, a, yeah, it was like such like a, 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 I don't know, like a productive thing going on. Like mm-hmm. the community it was so, like, community-based. Yeah. That, and, and then you know, any time there was ever a city connected with a style of music, you know the same shit was going on. Like, yeah. you know, Seattle uh, Seattle was the grunge, you know? Yeah. The same idea. It was like a whole bunch of people. And you see the same thing with, like, Temple of the Dog, where, where uh, you know, you have guys from Soundgarden playing with guys from Pearl Jam. Totally. Same idea, where, where all the musicians are just in, involved with each other. Yeah you know and the bands are not like so separate everybody's kind of on the same wavelength just like you know uh working things out and just uh pouring their hearts into their music
0: yeah that's, that still happens now with like i noticed just in the past couple weeks like youth of today and gorilla Biscuits and judge they're, they're sharing members they sweat they swap they, they still swap the band members still and they like interchange each other guitar player like it's Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's that was happening back then, but yeah, they still do that now. I noticed that um, with the bands, it's cool. Um, Yeah,
1: it's it's always cool to see that. uh, You know, that's one of the things. I mean, you know, uh, one of the things I experienced later in life was dealing with Fat Mike, because Fat Mike is a guy that's been around since day one. Totally. You know, I, I mean, he was out in San Francisco, but like he was still like I remember the very uh first show i ever went to go see at the old anthrax club in uh in connecticut yeah. what was a no FX show oh wow you know so it's a, and that's going way back and yeah. uh so um but, but he's a guy that like you know d- doing business with him you realize holy shit this guy he's wealthy because he's like a, a self-made millionaire yeah uh through, through just having, like, a really good band and a really good business sense and having a successful label. Yeah. And and he's very quick to share the wealth because of the fact that he loves seeing his friends also make it by playing Love music. that. Yeah, it's
2: awesome. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, like, to be honest, like he's, a like, one in a million because there aren't a whole lot of people that share the wealth like that and also are so... Uh, you know, supportive of of their friends to continue doing what they want to do, what yeah. their what their what their passion is, as opposed to watch them fall by the wayside and have to work a corporate job or or like a, a working class job and see all of that musical talent just go to waste.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's yeah, because he's uh, been there I too. Know. He's a band. He's a yeah. He owns it. He owns the label. He runs the label. He he started that band in the '80s. He still tours. Like he knows. The whole entire behind the scenes, the whole process, yeah, you totally. Know, so like the
1: process from both sides, yeah. Which is something, which is something that kind of helped me too, as far as uh, sick of it all goes, because I'm like the business guy, always have been, and uh, you know, there was a year and a half where I left sick of it all. Yeah, uh, why,
0: why, why? Why was that? What was that? I remember that because I remember Max Capshaw played was, drums. So I remember that.
1: It was because I had a, a girlfriend that didn't like me touring, and she kind of. Mm. She was like kind of putting the pressure on me not to tour and like just I mean at that point literally I toured once and she had like <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> and she she had such a, a rough time with it that you know like she like kind of was pressuring me and pressuring me to Damn. to give up the band and like just get a job so I ended up getting a job and and leaving sick of it all for a year and a half. I remember and that during during that time though I worked at sick of it all's label which was a you know in, in, in effect relativity oh, combat wow. core you know like uh, it was like a big you know, like the big umbrella label with yeah. relativity so so i worked there for a year and a half and i got like a good insight into the business side of, yeah. of the music scene as well which i was then able to use going back and once i was just primarily a musician again yeah i was able to use that whole like you know business mind to to make sure sick of it all wasn't getting ripped off I to make that. sure that and make sure we were doing the right thing and make sure that like you know what i mean like just yeah. the, and nowadays i you know i'm the one that comes up with the budgets and uh awesome. i help out i help the tour managers out with uh with the like the rough budget and then it gets more and more fine-tuned as we hit the road and like, yeah but like but I'm involved in all that kind of crap. I just got done dealing with the band's taxes, which I'm sure nobody wants to hear. But yep. uh, but these are the mundane kind of nonsense, bullshit, mediocre crap that you do have to deal with 100%. as a musician. And if you don't deal with your, with, with your um, own business yourself, then you're always putting your business in somebody else's hands. And you never know what their motives are.
0: It's true. It's a really good you point. I mean? Yeah. So,
1: so it's really good to be able to keep it in house and make sure that the band is is taken care of from the inside. So yeah, you know that's that's my, my advice to starting musicians is to try to learn the, the business behind it as well as, you know, be creative and, and write songs and create music and you know, like it it's it's a it's a fine line that you have to walk, uh and not become too much of one or too much of the other Because if you're if, if you're just all about music Then you lose sight of the business And if you're all about business, then you lose sight of the music
0: It's true, it's a, it's a balance, know? yeah
1: Yeah, so it's a fine balance But if there's somebody that's in your band Like like I am for sake of it all That can do that then, uh, then you have a much better chance of being a band For a really long time like we've been
0: Yeah, I was going to say that but, I mean Adam handles Adam Adam handles the business and the budgets. I handle all the merch and all that stuff. We do that. We do the tours together, and and the, right. I, I I do think that's the key. Besides Element. besides yeah, the, yeah, besides totally. the, besides the brotherhood and the friendship, that's the key to longevity. Is like knowing your business and how to handle it because a lot of bands well, end up breaking up because of money and stupid shit like that. You know?
1: Hell yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it makes such a big difference to be able to like you know like you guys like you guys divvy it up where you're in charge of this and yeah. Adam's in charge of the other thing. So that's yeah that's perfect.
0: Everybody, everybody has their own their own things. So when when you left the band for that year and got into that business were you were you missing playing music? Was it hard for you? Oh,
1: yeah, like crazy. It was uh it was it was pretty rough. You know, because uh like once you know, it, it just it, it even got to a point where I was making my own like a list of reasons to stay with this girl or not. Oh, and, shit. And, and and the list for leaving her was like way longer than the list to stay with her. So I, I knew, I, I knew that uh, our days as a couple were numbered. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was very eager to just get back to doing what I was doing. And then I got the call from Pete when uh, they, they had had problems with EK, EK uh, just didn't end up like really, meshing with the other guys as far as his personality goes and like mm-hmm. you know uh i was on that tour I, with him yeah 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 exactly yeah so, but you know you know like how how problematic the the vibe was in the band so uh yeah. and uh you know when i got the call from pete to see if i'd be interested in getting together with them to write a new record i was all about it and instantly like you know it was so the way just look around came to be yeah. Was like so quick And painless And just like It was fun And like We recorded it Probably within I don't know Within like four months Of me getting back together And that's And that's including The touring that I did With the band as well yeah. During that Which was like Our first trip to Europe As well uh, You know In like early 92
0: Yeah I was with you guys I think yeah Yeah for sure for that Yeah
1: So Yeah exactly So uh um, you know, it, it was just like it was meant to be. And then after that, like, you know, we did like another European tour and it became obvious holy shit, we can make a living doing this. Yes. Because, because Europe became like a money making uh, place for bands to go and play. Yeah. With, and they loved American hardcore more than Americans. 100%. You know? so, so it was like uh, it, it, was, it became like a viable career. And, and at that point, and that point we all knew that like, wow, if we, if we, you know, really focus on doing this, we can make a living at it. And so why the hell not? Why would yep. we not want to? Do it? So, uh, you know, that was when everybody's mind was made up and we all committed ourselves to the like, of it all being our, our, our livelihood.
0: Was that the last job you had? Was at uh, relativity then?
1: Yeah. That was wow. my last. Like, That's like fucking ninth amazing. To five or, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's crazy, and it, some people, some some people might not know this about it. But you you write a lot, a lot of songs for sick of it. Like I'm, I'm sure you write a, a good percentage of the songs, and usually it's not usually the drummer that's involved in that. That's why I think it's awesome and very unique that you, you've always well, been you like saw,
1: that. It, I started out on guitar, you know, like that's uh, true. even though even though like back in Iran, I was you know like I told you like, I had that teacher that like yeah. sat me taught me the basics of drumming. Yeah. Like when I moved when I moved to America, I was living in. uh, you know, because my dad had to stay behind and deal with the whole, you know, selling of the house and yeah. like dealing. with, and, and he also wasn't an American citizen, so it wasn't easy for him to travel out of Iran at that point. So and I was an American since birth because my mom was an American. Yeah. And so, so it was easy for the three of us. So we moved into my grandparents' house in Jamaica and we lived in a studio apartment that they had in the back of their house. And it was the three of us in just one room. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. So I, I couldn't obviously play drums, even though I wanted to. So I picked up guitar, and uh, that—that was—I started playing guitar at 13. So by the time I was doing bands, guitar was like my thing. That was, yeah. Even, even to this day, like I think I'm a little bit more natural at playing guitar than I am at drums. Like drums, I—I I, I basically know how to play "Sick of It All" songs, but I can't really <laughs> improvise. Yeah, you know, I can't improvise on drums, but like with guitar, I could improvise. I could like just like come up with shit. It's more kind of fluid, and you know yeah. what I mean. So, so for me, writing music is uh, is you know I always want to be involved in writing music, and uh, you know the melodies of it, not just the drum beats.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And did so you wrote you wrote a bunch of stuff on Just Look Around, obviously? Actually, on Just Look Around, let me see.
1: Um, I, I helped out. Yeah, but at that point, I wasn't really like a full because uh, there there were a number of songs that were already written floating
0: around and shit. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Look, yeah. Like like you know, uh, we stand alone. That's Just right. look around. Written I, and uh, um, what's going on was already written and released on the we stand alone uh, seven inch. You're right. You're right, you know what I mean? Yeah. There, there was like a there was a good amount of that material that was already written, and then I was involved in the songwriting, but uh, not as much because we were so kind of collaborative at that point. We yeah. all it, a lot of it. Like for example, that song "In Dust" yeah. that was written because Richie was like just clowning around. Like <laughs> I think he was making fun of Evan from Biohazard, and. Uh, Wow. And he was he started playing that riff and it and I started playing drums to it and Pete started playing it. It was just one note, but like wow. it became a song, you know, like and uh That's
0: a good song but, but
1: though. songs were are like written by just the four of us getting together and kind of just messing around. It was more of like a jam thing at that point. Yeah. Than it was than it was like a structured songwriting thing. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, so um like I, I was involved in more not so much uh, riff writing, but more the arrangements and stuff like that. Gotcha. And every once, every once in a while, like, I would be involved with like, writing a part here, a part there. And, and then I wrote a bunch of lyrics on Drussel Grand.
3: So, yeah.
1: uh, you So know, I was more involved in, in those ways. And then later on, I, I guess with like, Scratch the Surface, that was when I became more of like a, a true songwriter, where I would bring entire songs to the table of music and lyrics.
0: Wow, and concepts. That's awesome. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so yeah.
1: yeah. So after after that
0: record was yeah. So that was just that was uh, scratch the service came after that. And that was yep. not, that was ninety what? That was ninety five.
1: That was ninety four is 94. when it, it came out late ninety four. Yeah. And uh, and and at that point, that was when everything blew up in it was Europe. crazy, we dude. Whole, I was with you a guys. Whole it was level. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw it. <laughs> it's fucking
0: crazy, man. Wow. Um, so yeah, just touring with you guys and seeing the world at that young of age, and and just seeing like, and just going to Japan with you guys and South America for the first time with you guys, those experiences are insane. Like just seeing the car reactions to.
1: Remember when you used the the, the bidet and uh, the bathroom and uh, the in the Japanese uh, label office?
0: I did. What did I do? I shit in there.
1: No, you you didn't shit in it, but like I, I think you uh <laughs> you you were just like messing with it. I think it like sprayed you in the face and went all over the ceiling, and you had no idea how to. Turn, like, <laughs> you were afraid to turn it off, and the water went everywhere. First time
0: using bidet, <laughs> holy shit! Yeah, one, one, one of the themes of uh, the this whole entire season of New York Friends is is the is the tough love and the um the ball breaking and the tough skin I got from meeting all you guys and like you know, the whole concept of like, the New York thing is like, this finds his weakest point and then poke at it and poke at it for hours until he snaps. But the minute somebody fucks with you, you know, we're gonna fu- we got your back and we love you like a little brother, even though we call you the girly man from Maryland or whatever. Um, <laughs> we, we, it's, it's this tough love kind of thing. And I feel like it's only in New York. I feel like it's just a, it's just a New York thing. I'd never experienced it anywhere else because obviously I haven't lived in any other places. But like, just the way you guys always liked that back then. Um, it, it yeah, it got think, get pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, and it was uh, it was kind of like uh, a pretty stark difference to the the way the rancher guys were when we first met them, because everybody was so like kind of supportive of each other and nice to each other, and we were like always like busting each other's balls. And it was a whole different. Uh, we met them at City Gardens. Of, Yeah, way of joking around. And like, you know, it took those guys a minute to like see what, you know, what we were all about. about. But, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're all friends. We all got each other's backs, but like the the whole rest of the day, we're busting each other's balls.
0: (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) And I was talking about on the podcast, too. I feel like the sick of it all ranted connection was the first real friendship and connection between West and East and West Coast bands at that point in early 94, because it's all... It's true. Yeah, there's all... You know, because I,
1: I think back to the, the 80s, and it was always beef. It was always mm-hmm. beef between, like, you know, like, suicidal yeah. and, um, you know, come through, and, like, even though people loved them, and, like, you know, I saw them play CBs. They, they they played CBs, because even at that point, they were too big to play there, so yeah. they played on un- the same institutionalized,
0: yeah, enough. that's right. But
1: it was absolutely jam-packed and people were going nuts. But, you know, people from the New York scene automatically hated them just because they were West Coast dudes. It's
3: crazy, and,
1: man. You know, and, and there was always like some like stupid beef that would happen between like people from the West Coast. So when they would come through, you know, somebody would like go and slash their tires. There was a Mike Ness and what? Stigma
0: thing I heard about back in the day. My uh-huh. stigma. Yeah, it's
1: like, yeah, it's crazy story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I know. It's it, And it sucked. Yeah. So the, the fact that, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, be the ambassadors of New York hardcore is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. And what, and what I said about you guys, too, I got interviewed for the Pete and Lou book is that what I liked about All? obviously, you know, before All, Agnostic Front was doing the crossover stuff. And, and um, that was a couple years before you guys even, um, I think, came out or but when you, but when sick of came out, you guys weren't afraid to go on tour new Titans on the block or play with corn or play with diverse bands. You guys weren't just about preaching to the converted. And I think that speaks volumes about you guys, your open mindedness and the fact why you're still playing today. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, I I hope so. You know, it's weird because like, I think the more people listen to the industry, the more the people's minds get divided and, and and categorized and everything like that. you know, whereas, you know, when I was growing up, I loved every kind of music across the board. Yeah. And, you know, my appreciation of aggressive music meant I loved punk. It meant I loved hardcore. It meant I loved loved metal. It meant I loved like anything that came out that had like an aggressive edge to it. Yeah. I I was I I didn't limit myself. I loved the bugle surfers. You know what I mean? Like real, like kind of experimental bands. uh, But but they were also intense on stage. So you know, so like everybody was um, more open-minded back then, as opposed to today, where you, you almost have promoters that are the ones that are dictating what you know what bills they're excited about. And they're more excited about bills that are like bands that all sound the same.
0: Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely, yeah, it's true. And, and,
1: and, and then the audience that shows up wants all the bands to sound themsa- the, the same. And it's yeah. like, it's, that, that bums me out because I, I love diversity. I love, uh, I've that always too, loved man. the fact that like, you know, and, and you saw like the, the early, the first um, festival shows we played in Europe were yeah. less than it. They were they were a total lesson in diversity where like you'd have completely different types of music all sharing the same stage and the show would be great. Yeah. Because because everybody got into whatever energy each band was putting out yeah. in in their own way. So yeah. when Sick of It All came out, like there were a lot of times where we felt, holy shit, we're the only hardcore band on this bill are people going to be receptive? Are they going to hate us? You know, what's, yeah. what? we had no idea what the reaction would be. Yeah. And it was all super positive. And they were like, they just loved the fact that we were like, uh, you know, we had that intensity to us. And the fact that these guys were like running around the front of the stage and like, yeah. you know, they fed off of it so much that it was like the moment in that show where instead of like, just like waving their hands around and being like, you know, kind of, you Know in this like dream state kind of thing, like with uh, like slower music, yeah, where all of a sudden everybody got that same intensity to them, or all like ah! you know, yeah. So, I, uh, I
0: remember the one festival, you guys are playing with Jackal. Remember Jackal with the oh, chainsaw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, <laughs> yeah. I saw a picture the other day of that, of us and Snap case on that tour. That was crazy, man.
1: I know. <laughs> and if,
0: you, you always loved Eric B and Rock Him, too. You loved hip hop, too, though.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, we, we never got to play all that much with hip hop groups yeah. in France. In France, there was, so we, we played with guys from the Wu-Tang clan and stuff like that, yeah. but, you know, shared the same stage with them and a bunch of reggae bands. And we were like the only hardcore band, awesome. And you know, like, things like that happen over in Europe and you think about it and it's like, that would never happen in the States. Never, And it's, dude. And it's a shame it is a that shame. it doesn't yeah. because, you know, because the industry is, uh, it, it's, it creates these boundaries for people which shouldn't exist.
2: Yeah.
0: What, what do you what do you think what do you think the what do you think the, the key is to you guys' success and your longevity right now? And and you know, when I see you guys play now, like I saw you guys play a couple weeks and I, and this is honestly the guy I feel this way about Sick of All is every time I see you guys you give a hundred and ten percent. Doesn't mean if it's like twenty kids or twenty thousand people. I've seen you guys play to all different crowds and you always yep. give hundred twenty percent you can see that on stage. You you know if a band's on stage Going through the motions Is doing it for a paycheck And then you know If a band really loves What they're doing You guys And you can see You guys love What you're doing still So what do you think It is that Makes you guys Feel this way This, this many years later The passion and stuff You know
1: I, I, I guess it's just a, a matter of pride Like you know yeah. Just having The pride in yourself The pride in You know Performing well No matter No matter what You know what I mean Yeah I, I mean there's, there's a lot of Sound checks As long as I'm not Hungover <laughs> I'll approach a soundtrack, You know what I mean? With the same mentality that I would a show, yeah. And that's for no. And that's for no audience. I just want to play the song well. I want to play yeah. the song uh, with intensity. I want to play it at the, you know, with the right feel and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, and you take that on stage with you, and uh, and you always just hope that your efforts are rewarded with the audience loving it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. still so, so I don't, I don't really ever change the way I approach playing. I think it's more just like I just always want to play well. I don't want to make mistakes. I want to feel good about myself. And yeah. I guess that that goes back to to pride, you know, just yeah. being like being able to be proud in in what you're doing and uh, and how it sounds and like how well you do it.
0: Yeah, do you get different? You, you have different pains now being older playing drums? you feel the difference being older?
1: Uh, you know what? Like uh, there, there are things that come and go. Uh, it, there's a, a, a nagging injury in my right ankle that, like, it, it flares up every once in a while because my right foot is so busy playing drums. Mm, yeah. Uh, but but I, I didn't get the injury from playing drums. I got the injury from being shit-faced drunk and falling down. <laughs> Rolling your ankle. Yeah, rolling my ankle on a bus. You know? <laughs> Hoya from Madball was downstairs when it happened. He, he, he was the one that told me about it the next day. Oh, he was just shit. like, you fell down the stairs, bro. And I was just like, oh, shit. Really? <laughs> and I, I didn't even think about it. And then, like, two days later, all of a sudden, my I could barely walk. Damn. And, and yeah, that, that was an incident known as vomit face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you coined that term as well. <laughs> Vomit face. Um,
0: yeah. So, are you the only guy in the band that drinks?
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're like yeah. Well, I- actually, actually, that's not true. Lou did have a glass of wine last night. Oh shit. Uh, yeah, but that's only because it was a uh, you know we have three days off in a row. No, that's so cool. Yeah. As, as, as long as he's not playing a show like the the next day or anything like that, he'll he'll, have a, he'll indulge a little bit. But uh, I'm the guy that uh, does so a lot more often. And to a fault, like I I, 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 there were many times where I realized I have to kind of pull it back and not be so bad.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you, yeah. you, 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 and Craig are like the only two people I think from New York Carco bands that have no tattoos except for in your lips. That's about it. Yeah,
1: that's that's true. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. I mean, For 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 me, it was kind of like uh, I, I never thought it would i don't know I, i'm just too hairy you know like <laughs> <laughs> like because you see people with tattoos are always like shaving their arms yeah, and stuff like that true for me if i had to shave my arms then the rest of me would look crazy because then i you know what i mean i'm yeah. covered in hair everywhere else and not on my arms so it'd just be weird <laughs> so i so I'm, i'm just like go straight bigfoot like throughout my whole life and then
0: <laughs> it's kind of cool not to be tattooed now. It's kind of cool not to be tattooed too, though, for sure.
1: Well, I mean, it is—it is pretty odd, like seeing how many people have like sleeve tattoos That's insane, now. That's insane. Yeah, like, and it, it doesn't mean uh, anything like what it did back in the no. day. When when you see people covered in tattoos now, no. it doesn't mean they're part of some underground movement or whatever. It doesn't. now—it's now, now it's just it's just mainstream. It's
0: fashion. Yeah. yeah like,
1: it's fa- fashion and mainstream and like kinda like uh I don't know, I guess like tough guy for guys and tough girl for girls. And it's just like it's well, an I accessory.
0: It's and like in hip hop, it seems like more like an accessory. You have to have these shoes, this Gucci yeah. bag, and this face tat. It's kinda like an accessory. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's
1: crazy too, that, that that's it's actually become so widespread for people to get face tattoos. it's As that's the first big. tattoo. I know. Yeah, I know. It's like it's a bizarre world we live in.
0: Um, so do do you ever, do you did you ever feel like besides the first time do you we you, are you we you ever worried about the future? Um, because there's no retirement plan in this. There's no four one k. Like I know, there's a lot of sacrifices involved for what we do, and we do it because we love it, and obviously we make a living doing it. And you know, do you ever think well, about the end game or?
1: I I never really did, and, yeah. and I think that. If if I was obsessed with that, you know, because there's a perfect example of a guy that did obsess over that and then ended up not, uh, being a musician, even though he very well could have been, was, uh, Anthony Communal from Time*. Yeah.
0: We talked about that on my podcast already. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so he's, um, you know, he was, he was a guy always talking about the future, but what are you going to do kid? Well, you know, later on in life, what are you going to do? How are you going to set yourself up? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. he was so obsessed with the future that Killing Time ended up not being a band.
3: You
2: yeah. know?
0: He talked about it. He, it said, was, he said that he wished he he, wish he didn't play it safe, he told me the other day. I'm like, yeah, he told me that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's a shame that he realized that later in life because Killing Time and Sick of It All could have been, you know, hand-in-hand uh, experiencing, like, mid-'90s uh, hardcore in Europe where... And, I love Killing I mean, Time. Man. It, I love them. It was just so huge. It, it was, and, and Killing Time even had more of a possibility of breaking through because they had guitar leads and yeah. they had like, you know what I mean. And they had a little bit more melody in the music. They could yeah. appeal a little bit more to metal crowds, I think. Yeah, you know. Um, so just taking that chance. That, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so uh, that's a, a perfect example of a guy who did obsess over the future as opposed to us where we, you know, nobody ever really gave too much. Never to did. And, and, and luckily it ended up working out for us, you know, like it's crazy. I think, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe the energy you put out comes back in positive ways. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no real explanation, but
0: well, it's just, it's just like you say, nonstop that like you guys never gave up. You never quit. You kept pushing through, um, and you just you just people, for what well, I always say, like when are you gonna stop playing? Well, if people when, when people stop showing up, but you can go yeah. to Europe and still have great. You can go everywhere and do good shows. Depends where you go, but people still care and people are like growing up with you. Now their kids are coming to your shows. It's like different generations. It's yeah, like Yeah, and
1: there I, I think there are a lot of bands uh, from the the old times that you know like um, I don't know, I guess Cox Bar would be a good example. Fucking great of, of a, band, yeah.
0: great dudes. Holy shit. Yeah
1: exactly and like they're a band that like when they decided to do it again you know it was like they they must have been like holy shit look at these crowds yep these these people love us you know and it convinced them to make it like a a really serious thing again so they're like they're like a touring band again and like uh you know, and for them to, like, get back into it after so many years of not doing it, yeah. it must it must be so rewarding for them to, like, uh, play these shows and have the people adore what they do.
0: Yeah, 100%. Do you... so, I mean, and,
1: and, and it goes back to that whole, like, Fat Mike thing where you, you just, you know, you look at people that didn't have music in their lives for a long time and then they're doing it again, and there's so much joy in making music and, like, and spreading the love, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and the, the vibrations of music are so important to people yeah. uh, that it's just great to see people get back into it. And I I, I always say that, like, I always want to see musicians playing no matter what. Like, yeah. even if even if their band wasn't successful and they had to break it up, keep making music. You know, even, yeah. even if you even if you find yourself working a regular job, keep yourself active and alive. Uh, creatively by making music because uh, you can never go wrong there's always going to be somewhere someone somewhere that's going to love it 100%
2: you know so yeah.
1: so, why, so why not do it yeah. why not put it out there you know like make your music available online like whatever
2: 100% you
1: know you're always going to have fans especially if you already have a little bit of a following from yeah. like your first band or whatever there's always yeah. going to be people kind of like following you in one way or another
0: um so obviously, people listening they know that you guys are a big part of H, uh, H2O's beginnings with "My Love Is Real," and it'll be me, you, and Pete. Uh, sometimes Isaac, sometimes Tim Shaw. We'd play this yeah. song, and that's where it kind of started with you guys. And um,
1: wait, I, wait did e, did Isaac play bass?
0: He played bass once in a while, like on the Biohazard he tour. Did, right? The Biohazard oh, okay. one. Yeah, that was a crazy ass tour.
1: I, I was always I was always picturing Tim Shaw on bass, but once I, in I, a while. I, yeah, it was, it was easy. I guess it was kind of easy song, right? So
0: easy. And then we sometimes and Ren and we had like one of that that big gigantic biohazard. Road he played bass once at one of the shows at one of those tours. And but I remember you, I remember you came to my first show in '94 and you were I got a picture of you like you were like you you had my back because I was your drum tech and you were my drum tech that and I have a picture like sitting by my drums <laughs> so they didn't tip over. And then and then that fucking riot broke out. That was the crazy first show, man. Fuck, man. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but so on a scale of one to 10, how was my roadie skills?
1: Um, you know what it was? I think, I think the, uh, the entertainment value That's was what Pete said. What, that, you know, that was uh, comic was relief. Worth, yeah, yeah. Like that, that kind of thing The the, the, the sheer entertainment of it was, <laughs> was what made it so great because like when you stop being at a roadie, all of a sudden, like, like things just weren't anywhere near as fun. Thanks man. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's
0: crazy. Yeah, so you uh, you you, know, you, you you're, you're obsessed with my roping. We talked about roping on episode on Pete's episode, yeah. where I project that shit I, up I, my I, butt. You loved it, bro. It's crazy.
1: Well, I mean, you know, not. It, it, it's come on. You're you're uh, you're a unique individual. You have a yeah. unique talent. I know?
0: used just, to. I used to.
1: Yes. Oh come on! You don't have that talent anymore.
0: I, I, eat, I eat too good now. What happened was I became a vegetarian. <laughs> then I started going to Europe. I left the country and went to Europe. You guys, it was like all that veggie slop backstage, all that shit. And I remember the first time it happened where I couldn't make it to the <laughs> urinal. I had to shoot it in the urinal or something. And like, I realized I could shoot poop really far out of my ass. Like it was just, and then it, and then it became like, and then everybody was like, "You're gonna do it? You're gonna rope? You're gonna rope?" And you guys, so people started following me to the bathroom, and I couldn't even take a regular go to the bathroom regularly. It was like. <laughs>
1: It, it, was like, it was like a daily ritual, you know? <laughs> it had to... You know, it, it wouldn't be like a normal sick-of-it-all tour without seeing at least one rope every day. True. You know? It became like part of the, the entertainment of being on the road, was seeing it happen. And, you know, it, there were so many different instances, so many different settings. Uh, <laughs> Pizza like boxes. The, yeah, like... Uh, I, I remember one time we were playing a show in Jersey, and we... Had the pizza? We opened up an entire giant pizza box. It was like one of those giant Jersey pizzas. Oh yeah. And we op- opened it up, and it was like probably, you know, four feet. You know that yeah. uh, uh, that would cover that would cover the ground, yeah. and then you stood probably three or four feet away from it, so that like the you know you would shit on the box. Yeah. And your shit, your rope actually overshot the pizza box. <laughs> 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 so I, I think that. <laughs> That was probably a record for distance, you know, but like oh. I, the spastic colon, man. Yeah, you that's, named that's, it that.
0: I never got tested for it, but I had a spastic colon, according to Dr. Armand. I had the spastic <laughs> colon, and, and I, I've been dreading getting a colonoscopy when I turned 50. Like, oh, my God, it's, it's going to be fucked up in there. Who knows, but whatever. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, there has to be some kind of medical explanation because there I, aren't a whole lot of people that can even come close to that. I don't think because I've seen other people online. Do, you know, like, kind of doing similar stuff, but it's oh. So you it, researched it because like, you
0: missed me. Interesting.
1: No, no, no. It, actually, it, it was somebody um, <laughs> one of one of these guys, I guess, like just happened to see oh, wow. somebody do like shooting a shit out of their ass on <laughs> online, and uh, but it was nothing like rope. Like, mm. it, you have you have to tell me you have that that photo that minus took, right?
0: I got the one with Lou in it. You think is that the one?
1: No, no, no. It's it's just it's, it's like a weird picture. There, there was. From the end of that biohazard tour. It was like one of the last days of the, the biohazard tour in 93. Okay. Um, and it was a picture of you. You're standing there, you pants around your ankles. It's from the side. And it's a kind of messed up, blurry picture. But uh, you can
0: you see the see, rope on the ground in, in my butt, like a total rope, right?
1: It, it's, it's connected. Like it, it's I have coming it. out, it's making this big arc. And, it, and it, it's connected from your ass and to the ground at the same time.
0: I'm finding for, it. I'm gonna post that shit.
1: For for uh, for that you know for that to have been captured on film and you because know, back then it wasn't like digital cameras. It was actual you know a shutter regular
3: you
0: know,
1: yeah. old old style camera. Yeah. So but for that to be captured on film the way it was, that was an amazing photo.
0: It's like Bigfoot. Like people find Bigfoot because this is like an yes. urban legend and myth and Pete said once we're all, when we're all dead the legend's going to die because there's really no proof of it. <laughs> it's so
1: funny. You know, but, but it makes it even better because it's kind of blurry, you know, just yeah. like the Bigfoot uh, footage. It's awesome.
0: So I don't know how this shit came out. I know you love that shit. Obviously we did Pussy Boy. I remember like just smashing shit at clubs and using the using the phones in the offices because we had no cell phones to call our, our friends back home. We, running up the phone bills on that tour. Oh my god, dude!
1: Yeah, yeah, pizza ass.
0: Pizza ass.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did the other guys talk about pizza ass at all?
0: No, let's get into it. What did I forget about this? What is it?
1: <laughs> well, pizza uh, ass. You know, it was like that that um, that nasty. Rash that you got all between your butt cheeks from like I, I'm guessing it was rope related. You know, it had there, to there be. Was... Oh my god! <laughs> because seriously, like just think about throwing rope. Like I remember when we were in Rome and you you shit on the Colosseum. I mean, I, I hope like Italians aren't offended by this, but like you, <laughs> we, we we visited the Colosseum. There was no, back then there was no kind of uh,
0: security,
1: you know, security yeah, or you know weird. like. Yeah, we could just walk right up to it and we were just hanging out in the columns of the Colosseum and then you had to shoot ropes so you're like, shit on the Colosseum. I'm so sorry, and, but, people. But, but, but think about that. <laughs> you have to apologize to all of Italian culture. Oh my but, god. Uh, but um, you had no toilet paper. You That's know, so right. You, you did what you had to do. You're just like, I mean, a lot of ropes were like that, where you just kind of like you did it and you pulled your pants off and walked away. So, yeah, but I think thinking, I spread
0: my cheeks really well too, so it didn't touch the sides of my cheeks. I tried to be like professional. I don't know, it's hard. I,
1: I think, I, I think no matter what, there's some residual, you know. Yeah. <laughs> stuff. This is so like, gross. Li- kind of yeah, kind of like lingering and you know festering in there. So it, you ended up with pizza ass. And, and then <laughs> oh, after the col, after the Coliseum, another like rope story that that was good. It was like the same. Just like an hour later, we were walking through this beautiful park, and and it was in Rome as well. And, and we were all like walking around, like looking at how awesome the place was, and how all the plants were beautiful. And, and then <laughs> next thing you know, you're like, oh man, I got a rope again. And then you're like, you run over, and I watch, and I'm like, you know, the same thing. I see like the side of your ass, yeah. and the stuff. And and it wasn't just like a rope. It wasn't like a solid thing coming out. It was like spray. little. Li- it was like a spray, but but it was like chunky too at the same time. And the, tr- the 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 pieces of shit were like flipping around each other as they were flying out of your ass. It was it was the most crazy shit I had ever seen in my life. It's like a sawdust chainsaw. I, some shit. <laughs> it was like. Flipping out of your ass. I, 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 I've seen a lot of ropes, but that one moment was like it was kind of a special moment as far as. Oh like, my
0: you know, god, dude!
1: As far as the spastic colon is concerned. And you, were you there when I?
0: <laughs> were you there when I took my clothes off and I guess rubbed shit on myself and chased all the roadies around in the gymnasium? Oh in yeah,
1: yeah. Actually, you know what? That was the second time I think I saw you do something like that. The first time, I forget who you were fighting. You, I think you were. Was it Craig? You were like play fighting in the in the hotel room, mm. and you were and you 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 went full berserker, where you were completely <laughs> naked, right? So so you know because you know we were talking about the whole berserker thing, yeah. Where you were going to battle completely naked, yeah. So you started doing that, like when when you wanted to like you, you would fight with Isaac on the oh, road, yeah, and, like, fight with Craig or fight with whoever, then you like, would come that. at them completely naked, and they would have to fight you naked, <laughs> and then. The first time, the first time I saw the like uh, shit involved in that was down in Argentina in a hotel room, and you were like fucking around with Craig, and you guys were wrestling and wrestling and wrestling, and then all of a sudden you like kind of like stopped, and you reached down and you just shit in your hand, and you're like,
3: "Come on, motherfucker!"
1: Like you know, like, like <laughs> egging him on, so like come at <clears throat> me, started, like. Shit, a pile of shit in
0: your head is fucking great. GG Allen shit. Pre GG <laughs> Allen shit. Like, oh, I, I don't know why I did that. So, that, was like a, that was like a defense mechanism, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. A defense mechanism. Because you know that nobody's going to want to fuck with you if you're covered in your own shit.
0: Fuck. And were you there too for the, the, the obviously we had the Manchester fight with the, the bootleggers? Oh, oh
1: man. Oh, yeah, 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 Oh, I, I didn't take part in that fight though. I was like I was really late to it. It was it was like over by the was time I got there. <laughs> <laughs> late, late to the fight. I was late late to the fight.
0: And then the riot in Arizona with the Nazis. Dude, there's so many crazy. That tour was so crazy, man.
1: Yeah, that was that was a crazy tour. That, uh, do you remember uh, when you and Isaac were play fighting? You did full Berserker. Uh, and uh, we were down in Miami. we were in a hotel in Miami and Isaac and I threw you out of the hotel room into the into the hallway naked, naked and we yeah. locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> what? what about the <laughs> What about the... And you were like you 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 were cracking up at first, you were like laughing and then you realized how serious it was. You're like, Come on man, come on man, this ain't funny anymore, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny to hear you get like all serious all of a sudden. What about the right? bed?
0: Remember the bed jumps? Like we jump off the bed onto the wall, and like kick our feet against the wall and pop back onto the bed. Remember that?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just saw it a picture a of
0: that the other of, day. It was a weird thing we did.
1: Yeah, I know. And and the destruction of stuff like hotel rooms and dude. stuff like that. I don't know how the band got away with it,
0: dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then the phone.
1: <laughs> go ahead. You know what's funny is the fact that Barney from Napalm Death always he wants to always smash shit, dude you know, and that's left over from touring with you guys yeah, he
0: still wants to do like he emailed me the other day because I sent him this picture of us and uh, us from the tour, yeah, like he loves smashing trays of like meat trays on people and like <laughs> dude he's so amazing man <laughs>
1: remember when remember when he was leaving the persistence tour that time and you dumped all those peanuts on his head when he was leaving <laughs> You <laughs> bombed him from like three floors up And it landed perfectly too It went all over All in his hood You know All over, in his bag So Great. It,
0: It's safe to say Even though we're parents And we're like I'm almost 50 guys are 50s We're parents We have kids We have mortgages We play music yeah. We still never kind of grew up Because
1: Well t- I mean I, I think that, that kind of And you know It's it's funny too Because people always say that uh, We look young Totally Totally. And I think uh, you I think just playing playing music kind of forces you not to uh, just be beaten down by the world. 100%. You know what I mean? You know, because like, and I I think that shows in a lot of people, even physically, like where you meet somebody your own age and like, my God, look at this guy, he's my age. Dude. He looks like he's he looks like he's seventy. You know, hundred percent. Uh, or you know, people just let themselves go, and you know, they give they, up. And before they know it, they're like too far gone to ever like be normal again. You know, like yeah. to be fit again, be healthy again. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame to see people fall apart. And I think just having music in your life is always going to be something that keeps you young, m- mentally, physically. You 100%. name it. Hundred percent.
0: That's why I'm Virtually. saying, like, like, like we got. We got wives, we got kids, we, we get to travel, do what we love, play music, and there's no reason to yeah. be to be angry about anything. I don't think unless you're angry against the world, obviously the shit going on with our president, all that stuff, but to to get to do what you love, I think that keeps you young. I think people, like you said, they look way older because they work in these jobs they hate every day and they're miserable, and and it's like, yeah. and not many people I, I, get to do what they love, so we're lucky, but...
1: I mean, you know, it, it, it's like, and you think about it, and as far as like a musician is concerned, it would be like, being on tour with somebody that you can't stand. Like if you hired like yes. the wrong guy, your TM, you know, and, uh, like your tour manager yep. and, uh, and then you don't get along with them and you like hate being around them and all that kind of stuff. Just think that's what people have to face and go into the office every day. Every so I day, really, feel, I feel bad, you know, for, for the, um, the regular, uh, people in the workforce because they have to deal with so much adversity in their lives. And, I guess that's probably why they love music so much because True. it's like Escaping. it's a good way for them. It's a good way for them to just like get it all out, and like and escape, yeah, and like, yeah, just escape from that uh, bullshit that they have to deal with every day.
0: But like we get to go on tour, and like our only responsibility is we have twenty-three hours to do what we want anywhere we want, and this play like forty-five minutes to an hour every day, and like it's it's crazy. We could do every and it's just, when you're on tour, it's like your kids again. You're fucking acting crazy and just. No, it's breaking yeah. balls with each other. Obviously, you get tired quicker because you're older. But like we, get, like re- it's reality and fantasy. I call it like touring's fantasy because you just, like you say, you're just hanging out and you get home. And it's like okay, drive a kid to school, like do this. You know, what I mean, it's, it's yeah.
1: Different. And it's, you know, what's crazy too. Is the fact that like you know you have that uh, the duality going on in your yeah, life? Yeah, you got to balance have, it, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it's crazy to go from let's say like a European festival to where every every day you're like in this backstage where you might be like rubbing elbows with some like really famous really (laughs) famous musician and everything like that and and you're like oh shit i was standing next to so-and-so the other day like you know there are times where we've been like oh there's lemmy's at the other table right there you know yeah so like there are all those instances that can be viewed at uh, like like they're very glamorous yes uh places to be and like settings to be in yep and then and then you go back home, and instantly you're just like a generic person, Joe Schmo in you the street.
0: Hundred percent. I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and but but I think you know it's always good to to be grounded that way. I love I that. Think that. I think that that's what uh, uh, you know. It sucks as, as far as our bank accounts are concerned, but yeah. I think it's good <laughs> as, far as, as far as keeping us normal people, 100%. you know, for our, for hardcore bands to be not like wildly successful and like money making, where we can fall into like all of the trappings of of what rock stars fall into. Yes. You know what I mean. Yeah. I think everybody's way more grounded out of out of the punk and hardcore because you know because they, they they don't have the trap you know like they can't uh, they can't afford to have those trappings.
0: They can't, <laughs> and so it's like like what, last day of the tour we're playing a Shell K, twenty thousand people. Then ne- you're flying home the next day. I, your wife's like okay we gotta be the kid to school it's like 7 a.m
1: back to reality yeah exactly it's yeah, crazy yeah, it's like, balance man like, yeah you know, back to reality you know <laughs>
0: but i love that i mean did becoming a parent change anything for you as far as your career or being obviously it makes it harder to leave our families but i love coming home to them it's, it's the best feeling but yeah
1: yeah it's I mean, hard it, it, it gives you everything uh Yeah, because I don't know, like, I I guess I was kind of like a a weird kid growing up because I always wanted to be married. I always wanted to have a family. Yeah. And that's, and in a way that kind of played out into my dating life as well, because I was so kind of like picky. Everybody used to call me Seinfeld, you know, because, uh, because I would always find a fault with this girl or that girl. or like, you know, she does this, I can't stand it. You know, like the same way Seinfeld would like pick, you know, nitpick all the the dates that he would be on. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And, um, so like I was, I was always looking for that. And so once I met my wife and, uh, you know, we, uh, had our first kid and everything like that, it, it just, it gives you, you know, your, where your home is, you know, like having that absolute 100% bond with multiple people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not, not just your significant other, but also your, your kids, like, you know, the, the, like they wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for you. So it's like crazy. it's a, a whole different level of um, of attachment that you is, experience. Man. So so and having that and always being able, you know, thinking to to go home to it is just such a rewarding thing.
0: It is. And my wife said that she feels like the key to our longevity, being married twenty four years, is that I I am in a band and I do leave, and she gets time to herself, and we have that that space, and I get to we get to miss each other, and she feels like. You know, since I'm, I think that's a healthy part for a relationship. I, yeah, I
1: I agree. I think it's it's good to be able to uh, to you know to, to miss each other. I think it's a really healthy thing for a relationship. I agree.
0: Do you, do you, do you instill a lot of the values you get from like hardcore and punk into your children as a father? You feel like you use that in your daily life? Obviously, you do, but
1: I I, I do, but yeah, it's, it's weird how conservative my kids are because they're mm. like you know. You know, they're they're pretty conservative kids. Um, it's not like I instilled those values in them. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I guess it, I, I've always valued, you know, freedom of expression. So yes. obviously, whatever anybody's feelings are, I think they should be able to have them. 100%. So I've never felt like it was my... And that's why one of the things about the whole, like, Antifa movement and everything like yeah. that. It's like, if you don't agree with them, then they have the right to kick the shit out of you, you know? like Yeah. So, like, like it, I, where they've become their own worst enemy, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so th- th- there's that whole thing, that whole mentality that, that kids have to deal with nowadays, where it's like, uh, you know, if they don't fit in with the ultra PC, ultra blah, 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 you know, like that whole... Uh, that mentality like my kids are going to college now, so they're surrounded wow. by it, but they're not that way So they feel a little isolated. They feel a little kind of like uh, You know like they they can't voice their their own opinions You know because they'll be thought of differently mm-hmm. and they don't, want to, they don't they don't want to be outcasts They would rather just keep quiet. It's
0: I a very it's PC surreal. world.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so but but too PC for its own good I because agree. I don't think I don't think people are being honest with each other anymore. I don't think you know, like, I, I prefer blunt honesty, even if it's ugly, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, That's that's the world I prefer, because then I at least people are real with each other.
0: Yeah, people are tippy-toe. People are walking eggshells around people for everything now, and everybody wants to protest any little comment or anything. It's like, um, somebody said it's called recreational uproar. There's a name for it. It's like recreational. That's really funny, man, just like. Just the way people want to jump up and attack and everybody has an opinion and yeah. it's crazy. And everybody
1: everybody's so aggressive about about if you don't agree with them then you know, you know, you're evil. You know, oh, yeah. you're brand you're branded this way. And it I, I don't remember the world being quite as harsh in that way, you know, about and especially because it's it's all like super leftist politics if you could call it that, because yeah. it's not. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's, it's it's like leftist ideals, but done in a way where it's all harsh right wing attitude about it. So mm-hmm. I don't even know what it is. I don't know what to call it.
0: Yeah, are, are you do you pay attention to all the politics and stuff happening in the world, or you
1: just? I, you know uh, it, it depends because I think everything 9-11 was like the perfect example of like a a major turning point in my life where all of a sudden I realized, wow, everything on the news is complete bullshit. Mm. I'm supposed to believe I'm supposed to believe the official story. Hell no. So I, you know, like I I do not believe that story. Therefore I do not believe 99% of the shit I hear through the media. Yeah. The media like, and you know, the people that listen to sick of it all know, this about us
0: 100
1: we 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 have songs completely about this where we like we wear we wear it on our sleeve the fact that we do not believe the stuff that we're told and you know you look at history and there are certain things that come about come out about even your own government that are so horrific that you think to yourself okay so if government officials were willing to do that back then of course they're willing to do it today yeah, you know even more
0: now yeah sure like,
1: even more yeah because especially because the, the military industrial complex seems to rule the world like mm-hmm. uh, you know what i mean yeah. like where it's such a confusing world man I, I don't get it man. it's it's like uh you got that uh you know fact that america goes around destabilizing entire regions of the world and The American military is uh, used by the people that make the weapons and by the government and by other countries, you know, to do their bidding, you know. Uh, And and meanwhile, back at home, everybody's so against uh, citizens arming themselves. Meanwhile, America is like this predatory war machine moving around the world. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Like killing other people indiscriminately, but – but then uh, at home, you, you can't even arm yourself against the tyrannical government, which I think we kind of have,
3: mm-hmm. you know what
1: I mean? So, yeah. so it, it's weird how, uh, um, you know, the, the world events that have happened and the way the media has been and the way I feel we've been lied to has made me more of a conservative person. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Where I don't believe there. I don't believe in gun control. I don't. I, I I would rather not see a militarized police force. I would rather not see uh, uh, a, a U.S. military that, that does the bidding of other countries and, and, and goes into areas with no end game, yeah. you know, like, what they did, like what they did in Iraq. It was just so like, – you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so there's so many things about uh, politics that bum me out, and uh, you know, so I, I, I take everything with such a grain of salt now. That I basically watch the news only to pick it apart and see what kind of bullshit they're feeding us.
0: So you're an, op- you're an optimist when it comes to life and what you do, your career, and your family, and your life, a lot, but you're pessimist when it comes to like the government and all this stuff. Pretty My much. My
1: God, yeah, I, I don't, I don't trust the government. I don't trust the media. I don't trust. Uh, You've always been like that, though. I yeah. don't trust. I don't trust the powers that be. And I guess you know, in, in a in a more simple time when I when I was younger. It was the same thing. You felt like authority was bad. You know, authority figures yeah, were authority. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess it's the same idea, but just now I feel like I see through the matrix. Uh, I see uh, the bullshit that we're being fed on the news. Like you know, when, when I see like these like supposed live news feeds of of this th- uh, shooting un- un- unfolding, I'm like, why would they be doing that? Like that makes no sense. Like I, I, you know what I mean. Like I, I don't just believe everything I'm fed.
0: Yeah, you, you question, you question everything. And that's what kind of punk rock question. taught you too in the first place.
1: Exactly. You got to question everything. Question
0: authority. You don't listen. To everything. Believe everything. Um, do you have, do you have any regrets in your life?
1: Um, yes, I, I actually do have one regret, and that was when I, uh, when I kicked out. The bassist in Rest in Pieces, this guy Josh Barker, that was a really good friend of mine, because I lost a really good friend because of it, and it taught me me a valuable lesson about being, like, too much of a a musical dictator, you know, like, where um, you know, just because he didn't thank you, just because he didn't, like, uh, play bass as well as Craig did, you know, like, I I, I got him out of the band, and I got Craig in instead, Uh, and, you know, and he hated me ever since that day because it was his band and I came in and and I came in and like a a year and a half, two years later, I kicked him out, you know? So, and you know, the whole, the band, like, I I think my whole life would have been better if I had had him as a friend, you know, up until this day.
0: Yeah. So you you don't talk to him anymore. Do you know where he's at? You know where he is?
1: I have no idea. Damn. And I know that. And I know anytime I've ever ran into somebody to, uh, you know, that that knows him and says, like, oh, by the way, I saw Josh, like, you know, a while back and blah, blah, blah. Uh, anytime I've ever asked about him, he he always had the same message back to me. Uh, you know, like, tell that guy he's a dick. <laughs> oh. Oh, shit. So, even to this day, like he still Damn. bears like an intense grudge, you know. So I, I just feel I, I feel really bad about that. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I know that's not like uh, that's not like the worst regret to, no, to it's have.
0: No, no, not at all.
1: Uh, so you know, uh, other than that, I'm uh, pretty content with my life.
0: Yeah. Do you have any like daily rituals? Rituals? Yeah, every like, da- something we do every day. Do you work out? Do you have like your coffee? Like do you have like something you do every day?
1: Um, I, I, I I'm a little too much of a beer lover. <laughs> 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 I, you know, like one, one of the things that I do, I, and this is one of the reasons why I get along so well with Dave Witty from uh, Municipal Waste, the drummer from nice. Municipal Waste. Yeah. We're both like we're both like beer nerds. We love like really you know like craft beer and everything that goes along with it. So you love so, Germany,
0: like traveling all through Europe, getting all those different beers in different countries.
1: Especially in Belgium. Belgium is okay. like, yeah, it's like heaven for us. So, uh, you know, um, and, and in America now is just the, the craft beer movement is so huge. You're like, I basically like, you know, I, I plan my days around what breweries are around me. Sometimes, like today, for example, cool. after Fest, uh, our our TM at uh, stage tech and I noodles, we're gonna go hit up like probably three different breweries around where Pete lives.
0: Oh that's awesome.
1: And do like a little like brewery uh taste test Uber call. Yeah. You know <laughs> where you just like Uber it around like little little like hops, you know, hopping around from brewery to brewery and like trying out their trying out their stuff and like seeing what it's all about.
0: You mean so you, we, we always were you ever straight edge? When you went straight ahead, were you straight edge ever or no?
1: No, nah, I mean, I, I've got through I've gone through periods of my life. It, it's funny because I didn't even really discover beer until I, it, it was like 2004 when I moved to Wisconsin. That was when I discovered beer. Oh, now, I, shit. I, I, I knew that Europe had great beer and you could drink a lot of it and it tasted great. And you woke up the next day with no hangover, you know, like, yeah, I knew I knew that aspect of uh, you know how good beer could be yeah but it wasn't until i moved to wisconsin and discovered how amazing american midwestern beer was that's crazy that made, that made me realize wow i'm like a beer fanatic and like and <laughs> before i knew it i ballooned up like i was like i gained like 30 pounds holy it's like, shit it, has mad yeah, it was mad carbs in there it was, pretty, it was pretty rough yeah but like um uh you know i've I've loved beer ever since. So that, that's that been, like, my kind of hobby is, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you, you, you won't really see me wearing, like, band T-shirts. I'm always wearing beer T-shirts. That's,
0: a, yeah, that's, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's, like, that's, like, is like, a coffee snob. Every country, he finds, like, the best coffee shop will walk, like, 10 miles to get the best uh-huh. cup of coffee, like, so it's the same thing, oh, yeah. like, yeah, it's,
1: like. Yeah, it's funny, because, you know, Marco that went on the road with you guys. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Weinberg. Yeah, uh, he was telling me that uh, about the coffee place that he took me to. How rusty, like, fell in love with that place. <laughs> so true. Dude.
0: Everybody has yeah. their thing there. You have everything to make you happy. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, exactly. And you know, beer is like one of those things that just it makes you happy. Like, uh, for me, you know, it, I'm not an, ang- an angry drunk. At least, you yeah. know, like which is which is a very good thing. If I was angry, angry drunk, I could not go anywhere near this stuff. I just have so much fun drinking
0: it. Is it just just a tour thing, or back home you do it too?
1: Back home I do it too.
0: Your your voice got. Oh, home I do it too. Yeah. yeah,
1: Well, I'm kind of like I feel I feel a little guilty of it because uh, you you would think that as part of like you know go wild on tour and all this drink, but I'm when I'm at home I kind of I'm guilty of it as well. (laughs) So you
0: got you got spots you got spots where you live you go to too. Yeah. 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 You
1: know. I mean uh the way the crappier beer movement is now yeah. there's breweries popping up every other town there's a brewery you yeah. know so so like I've I've been doing all these like upstate crawls and like stuff with my wife where we just like travel yeah. a couple of hours here a couple of hours there and we go to we hit like four different breweries while we're there either Holy that or going to, going to beer festivals you know so um that's crazy so much, You're really into it wow. so much yeah, yeah, there's is something happening. America is just such a hot spot for amazing beer now. i I I'm, I, I feel like I'm blessed to live in this country at this time. <laughs> That's fucking
0: nuts. You should talk to Mitz too. Mitz is a crazy beer connoisseur too, man.
1: You God, know what though, Mitch? I, I, I know Mitz loves his beer, but he's such a. he he only really loves a certain drinking time. beer. Session beers. Like se- beer beers that are light in alcohol that you could just keep drinking all day and all night, you know? And you never really get fucked up where you just kind of, you maintain like a little buzz. Yeah. Which is, that's the way he drinks. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of liking the, the stronger beers. So, and and the darker beers as well. He doesn't really go for the dark. So, so I like Imperial Stouts, Imperial Porters. Those are my shit, you know? So I, uh, I end up, in these situations sometimes where I overdo it. It's very easy to overdo it when the alcohol percentage goes up to like 12, 13%. That's crazy. Where, 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 you know, you're throwing them back and you, you don't really think about it so much because it, it tastes so good. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're like, what did I do? It's <laughs> you <know? That's> amazing. <laughs> and then you have to play a show the next day and you feel like hell.
0: And you're shocked. Cause yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so no, those are the moments I've had quite a few moments where I've realized this is just not professional. I have to change my ways here.
0: I have one more story I thought about, but before I go, one more story I thought about you is when you remember at the tapehead show at fishbone, I don't know if you were drunk or not. But something happened because I because you've always I've never seen you fight the whole time. I know I know, you know, like you, you don't try to be a tough guy. You don't try to flex. You just you just who you right. are. Obviously, yes. if you always, you know, people are, whatever. But I remember something happened at that tape head show. And I, remember, I was outside and you came outside and you, you like squared off with some guy wearing creepers. Do you remember that? I don't remember. And you were, it was in front of Mars bar and like Tommy Carroll rolled up with his, with his daughter and um, Alexa and their baby. And it was outside.
1: Oh. Oh yeah, yeah that that was uh, that was a fight that I got into with this guy uh, in the pit for Fishbone, Yeah. Yeah,
0: and then you came outside and it was like a squared off thing. It was I'd never seen like it was like a one on one thing. It was nuts.
1: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: (laughs) that was crazy. (laughs) Because I was trying to think of stories like you never wild out like that. So that's something I remember. That came outside. I mean, came outside. I was I was like, holy shit! Because I never seen you like that before.
1: You know what it is? I I think I might have been drinking a little bit that night. Yeah, but, but. I was never really a big drinker when I was younger. Yeah. It wasn't until it wasn't until Wisconsin. So like a lot of my, uh, my, uh, early adult experiences, I was totally sober. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if that was one, it might've been, I, I think I might've been maybe a little high, Okay. Oh, okay. but, uh, okay. but, but I, I guess I was dancing a little too hardcore for a fishbone show. <laughs> and and, and I, I was, I was all over people. I was, I was diving all over. people. Yeah, and I, I think, think so one- too at one point i, I grabbed I, I was just diving and i happened to grab this guy's um, suit oh and, shit and it t- it tore his suit and he was like one of these like skinhead guys with like his fancy suit on
2: yeah and uh shit.
1: And, and 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 i went i went down to the the floor i got kind of hit the floor and next thing i knew i had this guy's boot in my face you oh, know so shit. he he kicked me in the face because of uh Ripping what i did shirt. to his suit yeah so, so I, I attacked him inside the club. It quickly got broken up, and both of us got ejected. That's so right. I, I, and I was just waiting for him outside. And, and when he came out, you know, that's when, uh, that's when we went at it. That was you know? great. But, right in uh, front of the club,
0: too. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, Because yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I'd never seen <laughs> that side of you before, too. I was like, holy shit, yeah. Even like all the years I mean, in touring yeah. with you, you know?
1: It, yeah, yeah. It, it happens every once in a while. You know what? I'm, I'm a very blessed person in that people don't really fuck with me yeah. very often. Yeah, you yeah. Know, because, because when people, people fuck with me, then, I, then that side of me can come out pretty easily.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah. and that's what the, – the last fight I got into, I was so drunk. I, uh, and it was just a, a few years ago. It was probably like three or four years ago. And uh, so I was a you know, middle-aged man uh, getting into a street fight with uh, like a much younger kid. But it was just because he started mouthing off. Oh, I, but he mean, I remember
0: it. hearing about this. Was it out by you where you live, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, a, and, and I was so drunk. I mean, I, I hit him a few times. I, he tagged me lightly once, I remember, because I remember like, waking oh, up and feeling. I, I remember feeling like in my chin, my, my not my chin, but my cheek was a little sore. So yeah. he must have hit once, but I remember hitting him a few times, like nice solid shots. Oh, so I got shit.
3: the,
1: I got I got the better of it before it was broken up. Yeah, but. Um, but I was so drunk that I instantly just, like, I had no balance. You know I mean? I, I fell on the, on the ground, and we were just rolling around. And basically all I was trying to do was just keep him, at that point, from getting uh, free. So I was just, like, holding him, and then yeah. he got broken up.
0: That's crazy, man. That was, like, right in the streets, <laughs> like, we you hang and shit. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: <laughs> but I mean, it still happens. Uh, but I've never been a violent guy. I don't no. like violence. I, I've, you know, like that aspect of the hardcore scene always bummed me out yeah, because I knew, I, I knew it was like, a, it was something that, and we watched it, we all watched it happen in yes. New York where it like destroyed the scene.
0: hundred percent. Yeah. You know, Scary, because,
1: because all of the good, all the great things I was saying before about yeah. New York, like this fertile community where all the musicians were so productive and the scene was so great. They knew each other.
0: And, yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and all
1: that kind of stuff. All of that was taken away just by violence. Yeah, violence took it away from us. Scary, you know? t- then, scary times, man. Yeah, and it was it was just so stupid. It was all so senseless, yeah. and it didn't amount to anything. And it took the it made the New York scene die basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like it was really lame what happened.
0: Yeah, it was like ninety one ish, I think, too, like 89, 91, something like that, right? Like
1: yep, yeah, all like the, the gang. Gang mentality, like everybody jumping on one person, all that crap. I don't like that
0: shit. It was crazy. Oh,
1: That's shit. definitely not my thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, shit. I think we covered, we covered a lot of things. We covered, look at all my notes. Um, yeah, man. I think we covered a lot. I know you got,
1: you got a lot of editing to do. It's all good. <laughs>
0: yeah, we talked for an hour and 42 minutes, which is pretty amazing. Um, oh, sh- but um, I, I want to thank you for, like I said to the rest of the guys, taking me on your wing, letting me be your shitty roadie. Even though I made you laugh, I appreciate you taking me around the world. That was like my college. Um, for the, I want to thank you for the tough love and the ball breaking, all that stuff because it, it gave me thick skin, made me who I am today. I'm proud to call you guys my friends. I'm proud of how far you guys came. You guys inspired me to start my own band. Um yeah, so, man.
1: And, and, and and vice versa. You know, every moment that you came away from feeling something great, you know, I did the same. It was like yeah. that's what that's what having friends is all about—just sharing good times. and yeah. you know, being able to laugh about everything.
0: Totally, man. You and you guys made it made it fun fun for me, and also like, yeah, I could laugh at myself and just yeah, come out of my shell kind of. Because I moved it by myself and met all you guys, and you guys took me under the, your wing. So I, I appreciate that. And um, I don't know. So thanks for being on the podcast, Armand. And uh, anything you cool, have, anything guys that you want to you have to plug anything or no?
1: No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna give
0: a shout out to Craig, who told me I was bald my whole life, and now I have I still have my head of hair. Um, and yeah, in front of yeah, my he's hairline completely
1: and... shot He's totally shot He has been for how long now? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like 15, 15 years
0: <laughs> So all that psychological shit Backfired on me and yeah. him So <laughs> Had me shave my head for five <laughs> years It was fucking crazy um, <laughs> Alright Alma, Thank you so much for being on bro Yeah, I, I, When this comes out I'll let you know and stuff I appreciate the stories And the reminiscing with you bro
1: Cool man Thank you Tom
0: Alright Amit I'll talk to you soon
1: Alright man Take it easy yeah. Thank you Bye.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, Please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to the next one.